Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the wonderful world of education. Now, this is an episode from the Research in Action mini-series, where I interview a researcher from the Mathematics Education Centre at Loughborough University about their chosen area of interest and the implications for maths teaching and learning. But... Just before we dive into today's episode, a quick word from our lovely sponsors of this series. Cue the fancy music. This Loughborough University mini-series of podcasts is kindly supported by Oxford Revise GCSE Maths. The Oxford Revision Series is designed to be straightforward, visual and accessible to ease the stress of revision, something that's perhaps needed more so this academic year than ever before. Now, I love the way these guides are set out. You've got one topic per page, meaning students can just dip in and get cracking. You've got nine to one grades on every question so students can monitor their progress. And you've got loads of lovely diagrams and visual memory tips to help boost retention. My favourite bits, though, are the Strive for Five and Climb to Nine pages in the Foundation and Higher books because they provide dedicated support for the problem areas identified in examiners' reports. Now, you can save 50%, yep, 50% on Oxford Revised GCSE Maths today with the revision guide and workbook at just £2.50 each. Simply visit Oxford's website at oxfordsecondary.com forward slash Oxford Revised GCSE Maths, and there's a link to that in the show notes page, or speak to your educational consultant who can tell you more. On today's episode of the show, I was lucky enough to speak to Tim Jay. Now, Tim researches the psychology of mathematics education. His main focus is on using design research methods to translate insights from psychology and neuroscience to create new findings and impact in formal and informal education contexts. He also has an interest and experience in leading large-scale evaluations of education interventions. The main focus of this conversation was around parents, and I tell you what, it was flipping fascinating. Specifically, we covered the role of parents in children's success in mathematics, what positive parental engagement looks like, and how can teachers help parents get more engaged given the anxieties they often feel about mathematics. I'll be back at the end of the show with a few things that I've been thinking about since speaking to Tim, but for now, let's get cracking. Okay, Tim, so we start the podcast as we always do with your maths speed dating questions. So question number one, what is your favourite number and why? 
Okay, so I'm I'm a psychologist, so anything lower than 0. 0.05 is good for me. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> I like that. I'll tell you what we have. Um, there's a bit of an ongoing battle on this podcast versus between the, the the maths teachers who like stats and the maths teachers who hate stats and prefer the mechanics. So I'm stats all the way. So it's a, you're off to a very strong start there, Tim. With that one, I, I like <laughs> that. And um, second question: What was your favourite topic in maths as a student? So I think when I was at secondary school, I think I remember liking algebra and solving equations, I think because it, it made me feel clever. Um, and then when I moved into A-levels, I think that was when I started seeing maths as something that you know I could actually use in the world. And, and I really got into probability theory and statistics. And obviously, I came back to that when I was doing my psychology undergraduate. So I, I liked... I liked how that connected the maths with the, the more human side of things. Nice. Fantastic. And final speed dating question. What job would you like to do if you weren't involved in, in education and research? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've thought about this before. And honestly, I don't think there's another job that for me, uh, aside from academia, I, I think that there's a lot of things I really love about doing the job I do. But something I'd miss in this job is uh, being outdoors. I don't, so if I had to have another job, I'd like to find something being outdoors. I, mean, I live on the edge of the Peak District, and I sometimes see the um, Peak District Rangers going off on the train into doing whatever. <laughs> I don't know exactly what they do, but I, I feel a bit jealous that they're spending the day walking around the hills. Fantastic. Superb. Um, okay, Tim, can you just give us a bit of an overview in your career to date? Where did it all begin for you, and how did you get to where you are today? Okay, so um, I, I did my undergraduate degree in psychology and philosophy when I was at, at the University of Nottingham. Um, and by the end of that, uh, by the end of my studies at Nottingham, I knew that I wanted to do research in uh, teaching and learning. But I didn't know exactly what, and I, I wasn't in a position to choose a, a kind of topic that I wanted to research for a PhD straight away. So I, I trained as a secondary school mathematics teacher, uh, again, at, at Nottingham. Um, with um, I think I was lucky enough to have Peter Gates and um, Tony Cotton and Malcolm Swan as my PGCE tutors there. Wow, um, that's a good lineup. Maths teacher training, um, and then I taught at a school in South Dartmoor. Uh, so I taught maths and psychology in, in secondary school. Um, and while I was teaching, I wasn't teaching for very long, but I spent a lot of time with um, bottom set year eleven students. And that really got me thinking about, you know, how do things go wrong for students in their learning? Um, and what might be, we be able to do somewhere along the way so that students like those that I was working with didn't, didn't waste so much of their time in, in maths yeah. lessons? Because it really seemed like they'd been doing the same things for five years in secondary school without really making any progress. And there, I was there as a new teacher working with them in year 11, doing the same kind of things they'd been doing in year seven and eight. And it wasn't wasn't really working for them, so that got me interested in doing research in how how students come to learn mathematics in, in different ways and what might work for for different students. Um, so that took me back to Nottingham again to do my PhD, uh, and that's kind of what I was working on there, working with fourteen year old students and looking at the kind of different ways they came to de develop new strategies for solving problems and uh, looking at some individual differences in. In how students deal with new problems. Um, after that, uh, my career took a, a little bit of a turn. After, after my PhD, um, 
so looking for looking for postdoc jobs there there weren't any around in uh, well not for me anyway in in maths learning so i went to the university of bath where i was working on a quite a large scale project uh, evaluating and designing pervasive and ubiquitous technologies for cities wow. um so working with psychologists and, and computer scientists uh, at university of bath and then towards the end of that contract, uh, luckily, a job came up at University of Bristol. They were looking for somebody who could teach on the psychology and education program, which fit really well then with a the background in psychology and uh, um, an experience in education. I had a really good time uh, as a lecturer and senior lecturer at University of Bristol. And that's where I got back into doing doing research in um, uh, maths education and the, the project I'm going to talk to you about a little bit later kicked off at the University of Bristol. Um, after six years at University of Bristol I moved to Sheffield Hallam University um, so I was there for six or seven years as a reader and then a professor of psychology of education um, and that that was a bit of a change for me in terms of the, I was still doing the, the maths education research that I had been doing at Bristol, but Sheffield Hallam gave me the experience of getting involved in some large scale evaluation. So we did uh, a few projects with the Education Endowment Foundation and with the uh, Government Department of Education on some large scale uh, evaluations of, of interventions. And I was involved in the evaluation of the, the Shanghai uh, Maths Teacher Exchange, which was, which was really interesting and something I hadn't been involved before. Um, and then February this year, uh, just before the world all went crazy, I, I moved to the new Centre for Mathematical Cognition at Loughborough University. So I'm, this is a really exciting move for me uh, because I think one thing I felt I've really wanted in my career is the chance to actually work in a department with lots of other people all interested in doing research on mathematics learning. So I've, I think the timing's been brilliant for me uh, and now we've got the chance. And I think there's been about eight or nine of us new new staff joining with the with the funding that Loughborough's just got. And it's meant we've got one of the biggest collections of researchers in uh, in mathematics learning in the world. So it's, it's really exciting to be able to work with everyone. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to being able to work with people face to face again. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's, it certainly is an all star lineup at, at Loughborough. Well, um, Tim, I wonder before we dive into your chosen area of research, um, could you describe to me a favourite failure? Now, this may be a moment from your teaching past, your research past, whenever it is, but I'm looking for something that didn't go according to plan and crucially what you learned from the experience. Okay, so uh, I, mean, I think I've been lucky in my research, in the research side of my career, not to have um, major, major failures as such. Uh, I think for me, what makes for a good research project is one where you're asking questions where you're pretty confident you're going to learn something whatever the answer is and I think I'm, I really try and be open to, to findings that, that we're not expecting so I've tried to avoid failures there but you mentioned um, teaching and one of my first lessons where I was actually left alone during my training um, I remember a moment where I suddenly realised there was a child who'd jumped out of the window. Because uh, <laughs> it was the usual thing, children uh, messing about and had thrown something and it had gone out the window. And she was uh, 
a bit too small to climb back in again. So, <laughs> uh, quite quite embarrassed. So I had to lift her back in through the, through the window into the room and hope nobody had noticed. So, uh, I've not told many people that, but uh, that, it's long enough now that I can uh, <laughs> that I can tell somebody. <laughs> what's the takeaway there? Keep the windows closed. I wonder what what's the what's the learning from that one, Tim? I I, I think it's just I, it, when when I was doing my early training, I think I just didn't realize or I hadn't I hadn't got those kind of teacher alertness skills to actually yes. keep an eye on what was going on the whole room at once you know you you have you kind of gradually pick up the eyes in the back of your head kind of approach don't you <laughs> so you keep an eye on what happened but I just assumed everything would be okay while I was facing the board for a while and uh, learned <laughs> that it isn't always <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one I like it okay well let's turn to your chosen area of research that we're going to talk about today Tim so first off what what is it Okay, so it, and it's an area of work that I've been working on for probably the last 10 years or so, and it's, it's about parental engagement in maths learning. So especially in kind of, uh, early primary school, it's how can we get, um, how can we find ways to encourage parents to be more involved in their children's maths learning? Wow. Yeah. And this is, well, whenever I saw this kind of on the running running order, um, my eyes lit up for, for two reasons, really. And that is one, I mean, we've done 120, 150 episodes on this podcast and we've never talked about parental engagement. So I love talking about new things. But two, it strikes me, and obviously you'll know far more than me, but it strikes me that it's such a big factor in determining students' learning of mathematics, their enjoyment, their general kind of attitudes and so on. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely fascinated to talk to you about this one, Tim. Um, so yeah, just give us a bit of a sense. Why why parental engagement? Well, what attracted you to it? And am I right that it is in, a, important? Yeah, um, I'm, I definitely think it is important. And it was it's quite a number of factors that came together that, that led me to look at it in the first place. And one thing was that I'd just finished working on a project at University of Bristol uh, where we were looking at what children were doing outside of school and how that connected with what they were doing in the maths classroom. So what, what we what we found out during that project is children, you know, whatever kind of background they come from, they're all doing it quite a huge amount of mathematical or activity that we could describe as mathematical except that the children were really finding it difficult to make those connections between anything they were doing outside of school and anything they were doing in school. So the mathematics, and this was children in year three, year six, and year eight or nine that we were working with at that time. So we saw this kind of huge resource of maths activity, mathematical related activity outside the school. So children were doing things like, um, buying materials to make jewellery to sell in uh, craft fairs. They were um, investing in model cars on eBay with their mum. Uh, some had uh, kind of informal, casual work, part-time jobs. Uh, some were saving. Uh, some were kind of figuring out how to make pocket money stretch. Um, but all, all, every child could talk to us about some things they were doing outside of school. But it seemed like it was just all this untapped resource. Um, and it was not being used because teachers couldn't u make use of this because 30 children in a class are doing all mm -hmm. kinds of different things outside of school and the teacher can't get everyone interested in the same activities. And we felt that some, you know, it would be really good if we could make more use of that. 
So parents seemed the obvious obvious people to go to. And then at the same time during that project, we'd, we were doing some work with parents and we were just getting the message you know, over and over again that parents really wanted to know what they could do to, to support their children's maths learning, but just didn't know what they should be doing. And parents had lots of anxieties. You know, they, they hadn't all had a good experience at school mm. themselves. They had anxieties about talking to teachers. A lot of, had anxieties about even coming into schools. And they certainly had anxieties about maths and teaching their children the wrong thing. Um, and then kind of looking into the previous research that's been done in this area, you see that um, there's a really kind of strong correlation in lots of different studies between parental engagement in children's learning and children's success in school. But there's a, quite a large amount of research showing that it's very difficult to actually design an intervention that makes this better. So in the literature, there was a review by uh, Stephen Gorard, I think, that reviewed, that did a bit of a meta-analysis and review of the research that's been done on parental involvement interventions. And there's very little that's been shown to be successful. And in fact, you know, some interventions designed to improve parental engagement make things worse. So um, we, we thought there was an opportunity to try and do something new that was a bit more, that was kind of quite parent-centred to, to try and improve things. This is fascinating, this, this Tim. I, I can only speak from my own kind of anecdotal evidence from my experience, but would it be fair to say that, that maths is, is kind of different from other subjects in the way it's regarded by parents? And the, the reason I say this is I've, I've witnessed this myself at parents' evening, parents like genuinely looking anxious when they're talking about maths and they say, oh, maths is done differently than it was in my day, or you get the classic, I was never a maths person and so on. It, it, do parents speak about and also engage differently with mathematics than they do say English or geography and so on in, in your experience? Yeah, I definitely think so. For, for at least some parents and possibly the majority, they do see maths as different from, from other subjects. I, I, mean, I think there's a few things. I think a lot of parents when they were at school themselves would have defined themselves either as being good at maths or being not good at maths. Yes. And there's far more parents that define themselves as not being good at maths. And, you know, they've, they've had no reason to, to change their minds since, since they've left school. So they've left school with that idea that they're not very good at maths. Um, and even the parents that we spoke to, because so, part of the work we've done is to do a lot of interviews and focus groups with parents about their, their experiences and their feelings about this is, even when um, parents do have these worries, they're very conscious. They don't want to pass them on to their children. Yes. Um, and so they're, they're really careful. A lot of parents are really careful to try not to tell children, oh, I was bad at maths, you know, we don't, um, or you know, our family's not very good at maths. They're very aware of that kind of thing, but they don't have that kind of positive experience to draw on, mm. to, to pass on. Um, I think there's, there's something else is that, you know, with, with other areas, and especially when children are younger, with some other subjects, all parents just have an idea of what to do to say to, to support literacy. So all the, yes. nearly all the parents we spoke to, and poss possibly every single one, um, would, have, would have known that reading with, the ch with children is just a good thing. Mm. You're never, you're never going to go wrong by 
picking out a book with children and, and reading at, at bedtime and having a routine that involves reading. So that they're confident that, that there's something they can do. And I think the same goes for you know, things like science and geography and history. Parents have an idea of some things they can do that definitely will be helpful and won't be wrong. Um, whereas with maths, there's much more concern that they just don't know what the kinds of things are that they can do to help. And there's, there's a really big worry, and I'm not sure exactly where it comes from, that with maths, there's a big risk of them saying the wrong thing or giving children the wrong idea. Yes. Um, so I think there's work to be done to see where that comes from exactly. But that seems to be something that happens with maths that doesn't happen so much with other subjects. It, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting, this. So um, I mentioned this on the uh, my, my previous conversation with you, your colleague, Julia. My um, my little boy is um, he's, he's tw- 20 months old now, and I'm just trying to get him, introduce him to, to numbers. Um, and to be honest with you, as, as a fairly experienced maths teacher, I feel completely out of my depth here because I, I don't I don't know the right way to to introduce some of these kind of early concepts with them and stuff. Because I, I my experience with students is picking them up kind of age eleven whenever they've got some foundational knowledge, and I know that I'm I'm diving into talking about ratios and arithmetic and so on. But those early things with numbers, I feel out of my depth. But the other thing I just the point I wanted to make, and again, feel free free to comment um, on this if if it's relevant, Tim, is I wonder whether. English is there's a danger this is going kind of the same way in terms of parents perception and anxiety when when it comes to things like phonics and stuff because I'm thinking about when I teach my little boy to read and you're absolutely right reading books with 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 children you can you can see oh that's got to be a good thing but then Mm -hmm. when it comes to like a word that he doesn't know what it means I I don't really know how to help I can kind of say the word and sound it out but should I be doing that and I'm not as clued up on phonics as perhaps I should be and I just wonder whether English in terms of reading will start to go the same way in parents mind as mathematics because it's things there's that feeling that things are changing it's not the way we used to do them and so on does any of that make any any sense Mm. Tim have you got any thoughts on that yeah I mean it's not something that we we asked a lot of questions about with parents because obviously our, our focus was on the maths but it's of definitely course. something that came out is that parents start kind of second guessing themselves mm. when when they know that there's some a new approach coming in in school so I, parents did mention phonics and the fact that you know, parents find that it quite confusing and again it's different to what they experienced at school and it's it's not the kind of natural way they feel that they would support their children with reading. So I, I think there is a big risk, you know, and it's not just at school, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a parent. I've got a boy who's 14 now, but, you know, for the last 14 years, there's been all sorts of people wanting to tell us we're getting it wrong. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, it's, it's started for us with um, breastfeeding. I know it's off topic a bit. Yeah. But, um, no, no, no. You know, my, my wife had, had a difficulty breastfeeding and all of a sudden there's people all over the place come and tell you, well, you, you've got to do it. There's no alternative. If you do yeah. anything else, you're, you're, you're messing up your child for life. And, you know, it's almost as if every decision you make as a parent, uh, as you know, the, there's, there's always people there to tell you that you're getting it wrong. So I think you do you do start to second guess yourself quite a lot as a parent and it stops you just engaging naturally with children in some ways so i think what what our advice would be and i'm not a reading researcher but um you know we've all learned to read ourselves and you know we all enjoy reading books with our children um and i would just try, really try and encourage parents not to worry about what's going on in school and just to respond in a way that just feels natural 
And I mean, a lot of that came into our thinking about maths. So it's not coming out, it's not coming out of nowhere. But I think this is this is a big part of the problem is the is parents second guessing themselves. And instead of responding naturally to a child and really engaging with where the child is, is kind of second guessing and thinking who what would the teachers say that I should do in this situation? Or what would the what would the newspapers say that I should do in this situation? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. <laughs> there, really, there really, there really is. Um, okay, well, let, let's swerve back then to, to your particular uh, research. Just, just tell us a, a, a bit about it, Tim. So, how, how did you, how did you conduct it, and um, what were some of the things that you found out along the way? Okay, so and the, the main, the main part of the project um, was, was, I mean, it was, it was split into two parts, really. So, the first part I mentioned already, we did quite a large number of interviews and focus groups to see you know, what were parents' perceptions of uh, supporting children's maths learning at home. And all the parents in that project were had a, a child in year three in, in a school. Um, uh, and then the second part of the project was we wanted to draw on all of that information that we got from parents and work with parents in four different schools and this was back when I was in Bristol, uh, and develop kind of workshops that would help increase the the kind of parents' feelings that they were in a, in a position to support children's maths learning at school. So it was very, that second part of the project was very much about empowering parents to support uh, maths learning in their own ways at home. And, and I've already talked about some of the main things we found out in the first part with the, the interviews and the focus groups. But a lot of it, I think I would sum up the, the main finding that we got from the, that first part of the project was that parents were telling us that they thought to be, to be helpful and support their children's maths learning at home, they needed to be like teachers. And so they were telling us that things like, they wanted more information about what was going on in the classroom. So I remember one group of parents were saying what would really help them is having a daily um, a daily account from the teacher of what they'd been doing in the classroom, what was coming up next, and how to teach that matter to their children. Um, so they really thought they needed to be acting like teachers and replicating what was going on in schools at home. And it, it was just not workable because even if the schools could provide all that information and they probably couldn't because, you know, teachers are already busy people. Yes. You know, parents aren't trained as teachers and don't have access to all the same curriculum and resources and can't keep up to date with all the kind of methods and approaches that teachers are using. And so we thought we needed to get away from that. We needed to help parents find a way to get away from thinking that to be helpful for their children, they needed to be kind of substitute teachers doing the same as teachers were doing. And, it's really, and, really, sorry to interrupt you, Tim, that's fascinating that, isn't it? Is that because just on a, again, I can only really speak with my secondary kind of school hat on, mm -hmm. and I know we're talking about younger students here, and just for the benefit of, of teachers listening from outside of, of England, really, year three, and I always get my maths wrong on this, we're talking kind of six-year-olds, is that about right? Six and seven-year-olds? Seven, seven and eight-year-olds, I think. Seven and eight-year-olds, I'm always one out, seven and eight-year-olds. And when 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 your parents are feeding back that they want that information, what what's that? What's their overall aim there, Tim? Is it to support students with homework, or is it to be able to have conversations with students about it what, what, why do they want that information from from schools i i think it's i for 
it seemed to us in, in the in the interviews and so on that it was that it was connected with this idea we were talking about a short while ago about how parents see mathematics as being different from other subjects mm. and there is there is a right way and there is a wrong way to do maths and they were really worried about doing it in the wrong way and giving children the wrong yes. idea about maths so they thought if they were going to do anything it had to be exactly the same as what the teacher was doing um i see so i, I it seemed like that was that was the major problem that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. So sorry, I, I interrupted you there. So after you did this kind of initial uh, part of the study, what, 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 where did you take it next? So we worked with uh, groups of parents in four different schools. And so what we'd taken from the interviews and workshops was that we needed to flip this around a bit. And instead of parents thinking about what was going on in schools, we, we wanted to start with where parents and families were right now. So, I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, how we talk about uh, early years pedagogy. You don't start with where the curriculum is. You start with where children are. Mm. And you build on build on strengths that the learners already have um, and show how to, how to develop from there. So rather than start with the mathematics, we developed a kind of series of activities in these workshops that really started with where parents and families were uh, right now. So... The, the first kind of activities we were doing, we didn't really even talk about maths. We just encouraged parents to talk about the kinds of things that they do together as a family. Um, so I mean, that could be anything. So it's you know, from going going for a walk in the woods. Uh, some parents talked about cooking together. Some families talked about games that they play in the house together. Um, some talked about going out to the shops. Some talked about days out to the to the park or the zoo. And so. Starting there, first of all, um, took away some of those anxieties, but it also gave us kind of a place to start. You know, so we, we wanted yes. to be working with things that they were already familiar with and already kind of felt comfortable and, you know, even expert in. And then we did some work I mean, similar to the work we'd done with children in the previous project. So we said, so you wouldn't normally have a conversation involving mathematics when you're doing these activities but if you did what might that look like mm. um and that <laughs> that initial um question uh sometimes we had to wait but we were very conscious that we wanted the we wanted the ideas to come from parents so we yes. didn't want to be as the researchers and you know people that are in education and comfortable with education we didn't want to start giving parents answers at this point. Mm. So sometimes there was some slightly uncomfortable silences when we asked them. <laughs> um, but actually it never took more than about, you know, 10, 15 seconds for somebody to come up with something, although it seemed like longer. Um, and sometimes the ideas would be, you know, start very simply. So I remember one of the first um, times we did this with a group of parents, it was, they'd been talking about going for a trip to the zoo because, um, it's a nice zoo in Bristol, and uh, we were in a working in a school that was quite close. So they were talking about um, having a having a day out at the zoo, and um, and we said, so if, if you you wouldn't normally have a conversation about maths, but if you did, what, what what might that look like? And the first answers always tended to be something around, you know, counting. So, so somebody suggested after this uncomfortable 10, 15 second <laughs> gap, that you could count the animals in the cages. Okay, so we started there. And then once once somebody gives an idea, then they kind of just start flowing. So somebody else suggested that 
you know, there'd be something around the budget for the day. You might have a certain amount of money to spend and you you might want to go to the cafe and the children might want to go to the gift shop. So there's conversations about money. Um, some parents started talking about navigation. So you get a map when you go to the zoo and children can be involved in that conversation about how you how you plan your route around the zoo so you see everything that you want to. And then I know there were once the idea started, you get really interesting things. So somebody was saying, well, you know, the animals are different shapes and sizes. So that's something. But then the zookeepers have to think about that and design their enclosures properly. And animals have different kind of ways of life. So you get hundreds of locusts packed into a small tank, but the tigers have, a, have this huge space for only two of them. So you've got things around population density and so yes. on. Um, and for every kind of activity that parents were doing outside of school together, there were these kinds of conversations about if, if you wanted to have a mathematical conversation, these, these are the kinds of places you could start. So that, that was the kind of second step. And then the next place we took that with, with parents was like, how do you start a conversation with children that, that might give rise to this mathematical talk? And it was, it's, it's very much about lowering the stakes, you know, because you remember that parents are very anxious about having anything to do with maths and about getting it wrong. So again, this was kind of driven by the parents in the workshops, but they came up with the idea of, instead of um, asking kind of closed questions or sharing facts, asking an open question worked really well because it had the potential to go somewhere, but if it didn't, you hadn't lost anything and nobody yes. feels bad about it. Um, so, you know, quite a lot of the questions that parents would then think of to ask was, you know, if a child's making a decision or if um, if you're making plans for an activity, just asking a question like, oh, how did, you, how did you decide that? Quite often was a way to open up a conversation that could have some mathematical content in, but if it didn't, you hadn't really lost anything. Mm -hmm. So there was a nice conversation that a parent told us about that they had um, a... They had a bit of a kind of routine that at the end of the day, the child would come home and they would be allowed to choose a biscuit uh, and a glass of milk. Um, so one day they said, so how did you how did you choose that biscuit? And then other parents started doing this as well and were uh, comparing answers. And so some children did it on the size or the weight. Some children were choosing because of the proportion of chocolate in the biscuit. <laughs> um, we had a nice account from one parent that the child had chosen it because that biscuit wasn't always there and they wanted to make sure they chose it now before somebody else chose it. <laughs> these kind of things of supply and demand come <laughs> And so the project, it, I mean, these workshops were a way of kind of encouraging just everyday kind of talk, mathematical talk around everyday activities and just making maths something that parents could say, you know, I'm, I'm, interest, I'm interested in numbers and I'm interested in maths without having to worry about how it fitted in with the school curriculum or what was going on in classrooms. And it was just kind of trying to find ways to encourage parents to bring numbers and mathematical ideas into kind of everyday conversation to make, you know, to help children feel like, oh, we are, we're a maths family and we're, we're a family that cares about this kind of thing. This is fa absolutely fascinating, this, Tim. And can I, can I just circle back to something we just touched on at the start there? And if, again, forgive me if this is a daft question, but 
Do we know for definite that parental engagement is important in terms of students' mathematical development or enjoyment or whatever it is? Is, mm-hmm. is, is that pretty clear? Um, so I think, I think there's, there's, there's different kinds of parental engagement. And mm-hmm. I think we know that some are helpful and that some may be unhelpful. So and I think the research is clear that children need to experience a lot of mathematics talk in their in their lives and especially in their early development uh, and that like just lots of talk involving numbers and mathematical words and mathematical ideas um, tends to lead to better achievement in maths later in school so there's been quite a lot of research um, done in that area by people like Susan Levine and others and they've they've done kind of studies where they've recorded uh, family talk at mealtimes or they've recorded talk at home kind of during mother and child playtime. Um, there's, there's been some work done in early years settings, so recording like the informal talk that happens at circle time in nurseries. And in each of these studies, they've shown that, um, first of all, the amount of mathematics talk varies hugely. So you get some families and some edu- early years settings where there's hardly any mention of numbers and hardly any mention of mathematical ideas and somewhere there's quite a large number so maybe yeah in a in an hour's talk some families are saying zero number words and some families might be saying 30 or 40 over an hour's meal time or something and then quite a number of these studies have then followed up those same children um, and looked at maths achievement maybe a year later i think in one of the studies I remember, maybe two years later, and have shown the volume of maths talk um, earlier on strongly predicts their mathematics achievement maybe two years later. Wow. So, so we know this is this that is definitely a way that parents can um, help with their children's maths learning is just by increasing the the amount of mathematics talk that's going on at home. And um, where the evidence isn't so clear is where, where you think of parental engagement as like being involved in supporting homework and mm. so on. Um, and there's been quite a few studies um, looking at uh, parents getting involved in homework. And it seems that, uh, especially in primary school, it's not always better to have more parental engagement in homework, um, oh, and right. especially in maths. So there's some evidence that the more parents get involved in children's homework, the, the worse the outcomes are for children. <laughs> and, and it's a little bit hard to, to tease things apart because, of course, you could have an effect whereby parents that know their children are struggling and need help may be more likely to help. And so you may get a correlation that way. Yes. But it's definitely not clear cut that more engagement in homework is supportive of learning. I don't think we well, have any, any, any evidence there. What's your what what I know it's obviously it's impossible to to extract you know, correlation causation and, and other factors and so on. What what is your take on 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 that, Tim? Is it what would explain that that finding that that sometimes negative relationship between parental support in homework and and students later achievement? Do you think it is it that that it's students already struggling, or is it the kind of extra pressure that it puts upon students that they feel oh god i've got maths in school now i've got maths at home and it's in a very formal setting well obviously you can't say for definite but what's your instinct that that ex- the reason that explains that finding yeah and i think it's probably a lot of things and it's probably different for different people but i think based on 
what we found from talking to parents, I think it's that it raises anxieties mm-hmm. and, and then parents would find it very difficult to not share those anxieties with children. Um, and, you know, you, then you've got this issue of you know, parents worrying that they're trying to solve problems in a different way to what they're supposed yes. to. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's it. I mean, parents would tell us that they would literally go and hide when they knew that children had maths homework. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They were so worried about it because when when they didn't go and hide, then children would ask for help and it would quite often lead to arguments and shouting at each other um, because you know, parents just find this find this really difficult. And if you're having that experience you know, as a child, you know, a seven or eight-year-old child, and every time... <laughs> You bring uh, maths homework home; it ends up with a with a shouting match with your mother. Then that's and that can't lead to good learning. I don't think. Um, I'll tell you too. I'm just I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. So just try and stay with me. God knows where I'm going to go with this. But there's just a thought kind of going around in my head here. So first off, is I have an experience here. Two, um, well, our two friends who have a a daughter. I think she she must be nine now, something like that. I regularly get um, WhatsApp messages with a screenshot of uh, she's called Isabel. Isabel's homework, maths homework, saying help. We don't have a bloody clue how to do this this question, and. I know from from uh, the parents' perspective that, as you say, that's not an enjoyable experience for them trying to support Isabel with her homework because it's it's not just them not knowing how to get the right answer. It's am I getting the right answer in the right way, as we've spoke about before? Is is maths done the same way that we used to do it, and so on? Now, linking that back into um, something that we did um, with our Year Seven students a few years ago is as well as setting kind of our regular homework, you know, worksheets or whatever they may be, we also once every half term did a bit of an experiment with a homework that was a bit more open-ended, a bit more like the um, the, the the kind of conversations that you were mentioning that, that parents were having with students where there was, wasn't like a definite one way to go about it. So I remember once we did something like, um, what was it along the lines of, um, investigate how many times you could sing, it was around about Christmas, how many times you could sing Silent Night in a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what, what was fascinating was that you got, you could tell that the parents had been heavily involved in those kind of, that those projects, more, far more so than they were in the kind of closed questions that were involved in the worksheets. And indeed, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't true of all kids, but kids who wouldn't hand in the regular worksheet homeworks would go to town on this kind of project, often coming up with some, you know, quite quite sophisticated mathematics and so on. So yeah. my kind of the, drawing those two things together and thinking about what you've said before, and, and this, this is a bit controversial, but I mean, is there a danger that that when homework is is kind of given quite formally in the in to two young students at that early age, that, that there's a danger that it has this negative impact that it makes parents anxious it makes students anxious and instead like is there is there more a place for these these less structured activities where it's you know go home and have a conversation about this and this and this and so on or is that is that a bit kind of airy-fairy and it, it would never work yeah I and mean, I, th- I think that kind of example of an open-ended um investigation where there isn't a right answer and it just i i, I really like the sound of that it gives opportunities for a bit of creativity and a a bit of problem solving, um, and I, I would I mentioned that the evidence changes a bit in in secondary school. You know, mm. secondary school children do seem to benefit from homework. Um, yes, that, that 
that that's that's been shown to be quite helpful. It is specifically around children in in primary school and and younger, where where the evidence is a lot more mixed. Um, but I I think the way we were thinking about it, and the way I've come to think about it through doing the the different research projects, is that home is an opportunity to do some of the things that you're not able to do in the classroom. Mm, yes. You know, children are already doing mathematics, thinking and learning in the classroom, you know, in, in lots of primary schools for an hour a day. And so it's a huge part of their life anyway. And But there are things that I think a lot of teachers would like to do in their maths teaching, but they don't have time for or they don't have the resources for. And so I think I think it's really helpful to think about just flipping it, flipping this round and thinking, so how can we get parents to help us with these things that we just don't have time for? And that, that kind of thing of just having a, a a conversation where it's not about getting the right or wrong answer, but just thinking maybe a little bit more creatively and taking your time to just play with some ideas is something I think a lot of teachers would like to find the time for, but yes. it's, it's lost in amongst everything we've got to get through in a really busy curriculum. Um, and yeah, just I, I so I, I think seeing it in that way is really really helpful because it you know it lowers the stakes for children. It helps them see that maths isn't always you know competitive and it's not always about getting the answer right or wrong. That actually it's about you know a way of understanding the world around us. It's it's another kind of lens that you can use to to think about the world around us. And I, I think that's something that helps like gives parents something to do where they're not they don't have these anxieties but i I do think it's something that teachers would quite like to have the time for oh absolutely 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 and just just before we mention some potential practical things teachers could do to to maybe help support parents i just wanted to ask you just going back to to your research tim um we we got to the stage where um parents have been coming up with some suggestions of, of mathematics talk that, that, that could be involved in the activities they're already doing. Um, yeah. is, was there any way of measuring whether that intervention, that, that kind of drawing these ideas out of parents, had any impact on students' mathematics achievements? So, I mean, so I, that's something that I, I'd really like to do at some stage. Um, and in that project, we were really just interested in um parents' own perspective. So that their experience of going from not um, not feeling like they were able to support their children's learning to developing some ways to do that and hearing from parents about how their kind of conversations at home had changed. So we've got we've got lots of nice evidence that conversations at home did change. Um, and also parents' reports of children's attitudes at, you know, about mathematics. I think we would really like to follow that up and see how children had changed, you know, in terms of their attitudes in the classroom or their achievement in maths. But that's that's a very much bigger and more complex project um, to think about at some stage. And doing it at that time, and we didn't know for sure when we set out to do this that the workshops would work and parents would, would respond well and, and would change their behaviours at home. So to set it up from the beginning as a kind of longer project to see how this changed for children in the classroom um, was was quite a high risk kind of project but it's something I'd like to do at some stage I mean what we've done since is you know I've, I've spent a lot more time working with teachers who've wanted to improve parental engagement in their mm. schools and I'm definitely hearing from teachers who've who've tried these or you know or their own versions of these kinds of workshops in their schools that at least for some children and some families it, it quite 
drastically changes attitudes and kind of behaviors in the classroom. Um, that's that's really really interesting. So let, let's just dig into that um, a little bit there, because that that was going to be my next question: how teachers can mm-hmm. support parents. So I, I've I've experienced a couple of different things in schools. So one school I worked in, we ran workshops for parents, but those workshops were very much this is how we teach this. So if you know this mm-hmm. is how we now do written multiplication, or this is how we now do division, and but we we got those suggestions from parents. We said, what do you want to know? And parents, it's exactly what you said at the start. They said we want to know how you teach these different things so we can then help support our kids so it was almost like a lesson the parents came in and we took turns to teach various different things and so on and so forth but then we've also done um workshops where it's uh, to use kind of Joe Bowler's notion of, of number talks, where it's here's here's a problem. So I think like the classic one is eighteen multiplied by five, and let's come up with lots of different ways that we can think about how to how to work out the answer. Now again, I'm speaking with my my kind of secondary school hat on here, but what from your perspective, Tim? What what is a useful thing that teachers can do, perhaps in a workshop or via just communication with parents, to help support parents to be engaged with students uh, mathematically in a way that's going to be positive. For, for all parties if that makes sense yeah I, so i know i've worked with quite a number of teachers since and i think so much depends on where schools are right at the beginning of the process and one of the things i haven't mentioned so far but was a really key finding in our research is that schools vary hugely in their relationships with parents yes um, you know, there are schools that I've worked with where parents are just always in the school um, and the schools do things like um, coffee mornings where, where parents are in. Parents are always visiting assemblies. They get full attendance at parents' evenings. And then there are some other schools where parents literally won't set a foot inside the school all year. Um, and and they're kind of anxious about t- speaking to teachers and the parents' only experience of having a conversation with the, with the teacher is when their when their child's in trouble. So you, yes. So you get these two, uh, and and you get everywhere in between, but you get these kind of extreme variations in where relationships are at the moment. So I think one thing is to be like aware of where where you're starting from, and that, and to be aware that the the homeschool kind of community. And whether, and whether that exists or not, or how strong that homeschool community feeling is, actually makes a huge difference for children's um, children's learning. And it's, it's it's difficult to show in like directly in the research because there's so many factors involved. But I think there's been enough you know, from people like uh, Alma Harris and Janet Goodall's work that a, a strong homeschool community really does impact children's learning. And um, and that's. It, that's a difficult one because it's it's a it's very difficult for an individual teacher to really do anything about that on their own. Um, but I think one of the things that's changed um, since I've started working with teachers who have been interested in doing this is that um, teachers, instead of doing what we did and like doing these workshops with parents in year three, is telling me that actually they think it would work much better for parents who are new to the school and have a child coming into reception. And that's really shown me that and that that makes a huge difference. It's made a huge difference for them because they're feeling like they they start off this kind of feeling that parents and teachers are in it together and working together for their children's education right from the beginning and starting this off in reception and kind of showing the rest of the school that this is a helpful thing to do. 
has made a big change. Um, and, and when you say when you say starting it off, I'm, again, I'm, I'm thinking we have lots of primary school teachers listening to this. Are mm-hmm. you talking about just kind of running workshops in a similar way that you suggested, just kind of dr- almost allowing teachers to, sorry, parents to share their ideas they have themselves, just kind of facilitating them, kind of drawing out their ideas and then using that as a way to, to, to help bring maths into maths talk into the home more or is it is it more a case of being a bit more instructional and saying look here's mm-hmm. here's a really he, this week why don't you talk to your kids about this this and this what, what what's kind of the best way to go about it if that's not an impossible question yeah i mean i think there's lots of things that a school can do once, once you've got a positive relationship with parents there are lots of things you can do but i think um one thing something important that we found in the research when we were talking to parents is that an awful lot of parents, once children start formal schooling, so and parents see formal schooling as being a reception, they kind of have a, a switch in mindset and they think, right, children have started school now, um, so education is the school's respons- responsibility. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. my job as an educator is, is done. <laughs> they might not be using these words in their heads, but that, that, that's what's going on in a lot of parents' uh, heads, I think, when children start school. And I think what a school can do that's really useful at that stage at the beginning of reception is to say, actually, no, as a parent, you're still the most important person in your child's life. And the kind of ideas your child is getting about learning and education are coming from you as much as they're coming from the school. So that I think fostering a sense of partnership in children's learning and education can be really important for for parents and children at that stage. And I think letting parents know that the kinds of things they're doing at home, you know, don't have to replicate what's going on in the school. Yes. Just having a conversation is good and playing a game together is really helpful. Um, and if you can have a conversation that brings in some some numbers and mathematical concepts, then that's great. But, but actually just having a conversation is great and, and really important um, because you know, and people talk about it a lot now that uh, you know, children spend a lot of time on screens and children are not maybe getting as much conversation as would be good for them in, in some families. And I think, you know, partly it's that a lot of parents are busy, but I think a lot of it is that parents just don't know how important they are for their children's mm-hmm. learning all the time. Um, because I, I definitely don't think it's true uh, from from. The research that we've done that there are lots of parents out there who don't care about their children's education which is an unfortunate message you get from speaking to some teachers yes speaking to some teachers who are very rude about their their, their parent uh, parent community now i've had par- parents in, uh, sorry teachers in primary school literally say to me uh, you'll never get anywhere with our parents they're rubbish um, <laughs> and, and stronger words than that I've not not come across uh, groups of parents that don't care about their children's learning. I think it's just that they feel like sidelined because it's the school's job and what goes on in schools is complicated and difficult and makes them anxious and they don't realise how important they are. So I think that's what I mean by, you know, the reception teachers that I've worked with since the project who've, who've brought parents into the school and kind of through the workshops, let them know they matter and that they don't have to be doing you know, what teachers are doing in the school to, to help their children's maths learning. The teachers have found that that's been quite a powerful experience for, for their groups of parents. 
And just, um, obviously, I know your research was with um, primary uh, students, Tim, but just, just kind of yeah. thinking about secondary just for a moment. Do you think, if we go back to, you mentioned at the start that your, and when you first started teaching, a lot of your experience was working with year 11 students who were perhaps disaffected, being taught the same things over and over and over again. Um, does parental engagement have a role to play with with students like that? And, and if so, what is it? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it does. I think, I think for me, the reason why a lot of my research that I've done over time, I've been working with younger and younger children, is that I think it's quite easy for for children to develop quite fixed understandings of of whether they're a mathematician or not. Yes. So I I do worry that there are points where it's very difficult to. To, to return, you know, uh, if children yes. really start thinking of themselves as not very good at maths, I think, um, I just feel like it's easier to try and prevent those problems from happening mm. than try and try and fix them. So it's a, it's a little bit of an easy way out, but I, I, I feel like trying to, trying to fix those feelings that children have about not being very good at maths are very difficult. But and it is broader than maths as well. I think you know, the kinds of conversations that children are having at home and the kind of you know, the information they're getting from parents, you know, will have wider wider impact on you know aspirations, whether they're thinking about going into further study, whether they're going thinking about going into university or not. I think I, I do think there's um, kind of more work to be done in looking at how to support parents to know that they matter in all of these things that, that help determine their children's future. But I, I just think the older the children get, the more complicated it gets, which is why yes. I've taken the easy route of uh, <laughs> working with children where they were a bit younger. Well, let, let, let me put it this way, Tim. So, so knowing what you know now, let's imagine that you're you're back you're back teaching again, and you've got you've got one of these these bottom set year elevens or a year year mm-hmm. eleven class with with students who are struggling, and you've got parents' evening comes along. And you're speaking to the parents of, of these students, knowing what you know now. What 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 are you saying to them, Tim? Because and the reason I'm asking this is tr- trying to see it from a parent's perspective. They they are probably going to say, mm-hmm. "Well, I, I can't help with the homework." Um, yeah. And every time I say to my son or daughter, "You need to do your maths homework," they say to me, "I can't do it." And then what am I what am mm-hmm. I supposed to do? I can't help them. Um, what what would you be saying to to parents? Is it is it is it going to be effective trying to just have maths conversations or is it again past the point of no return where where that's not going to be effective what, what would you say knowing what you know now yeah and i i think actually that and this this does relate to this research i mean it's, it's slightly off at a different tangent but i think what for, for children and young people that have felt like maths isn't for them and they're never going to be any good at maths i think one thing that i've seen that has changed that is stopping focusing on maths and starting focusing on something the child is or, or the adult you know is genuinely interested in and it comes from our research a bit this because there were some parents that we spoke to in the focus groups and interviews stage who had said themselves that they never felt like they were any good at maths at school and hadn't done very well and were you know really anxious and avoidant around maths but what had been the turning point for them is when they wanted to train as a nurse, as an adult. And there was actually quite a number of uh, mothers that we spoke to in Bristol who'd had this experience. And then when it had come to 
they've been really worried about the mathematical content of the nursing courses. But when it came to actually doing it, because it was in the context of something they really did care about and were motivated to, to understand, it actually turned out that they could do maths after all. And that really improved their kind of self-confidence uh, in mathematics because it was taking the attention off mathematics and, and yes. on to something that they really cared about. And there's a similar story of um, and one of these uh, bottom set year 11 boys, I remember, was really, really into motor mechanics. And luckily, we were in a school that did, did some vocational education. And he spent the term, rather than coming to some of his usual lessons, including maths, he went and spent time um, with the post-16 group doing motor mechanics. And obviously, there's maths in there. And all of a sudden, it turned out he, he could do maths after all. It was just in a, in a context that was motivating for him. So I think I mean, it, it, it's difficult to do, I think. But again, it's, it's this idea of starting from where children and young people are rather than starting from where the curriculum is and seeing which bits can't they do and which bits uh, are off-putting for them. If you're starting from a context that is engaging and motivating, can kind of work to unlock that feeling that they can be a mathematician. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I had um, a couple of a couple of episodes ago. Um, I spoke to Peps McRae about his his new book, Motivated Teaching, and it's it's fascinating thinking about those drivers of motivation. And I, I like this idea of kind of taking the focus off the mathematics. So this child starts to feel successful, then almost kind of saying, "Oh, look, you can do it now." And once they've had that experience of success, then we can get into this virtuous cycle where you know they mm -hmm. perhaps put a bit more effort in and so on. But as you say such a complex area and, and very difficult to do when there's kind of 30 kids each with different differing needs and so on. Um, yeah, just, before, yeah. ju just before we move on to some reflections, Tim, as we, as we draw to a close, was there anything else about um, the research into parental engagement that you wanted to mention that we, we haven't covered so far? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, I think the main thing is, is that I, the work that I've done since the projects, so doing CPD workshops for, for teachers and so on, it's that it it it's not easy, but it, it does have these potential payoffs. That it's quite an investment because you. And one thing I haven't mentioned is the the difficulty we had in recruiting parents to these workshops in some schools. <laughs> because you know we we deliberately wanted to choose some schools where there was already a good good relationship with parents, but some schools where parents were reluctant to even step inside the door. So we spent a lot of time in in playgrounds just having chats with parents, and I think. In some schools, it does take a lot of investment to turn some of this round and and try and persuade parents that they're they're really in this partnership. But all the all the accounts I've heard from teachers that have done this in their schools say that it, it really is worthwhile and it might it might change some children's experience of maths, you know, quite quite significantly. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Okay, well, let's let's move on to just do a couple of reflections before I hand over to you for your uh, big three. So firstly, uh, what's an example, Tim, of something important that you've changed your mind about? Um, I think, I think, I mean, I, all, I started the project really thinking there were, there were things in every family that, um, where, where there was some mathematical thinking going on because, I mean, mathematics is, is so pervasive. Uh, and I was confident that we'd find maths in every family. But I think one thing I hadn't realized is, is the range of different kind of cultural backgrounds and 
um, personal histories and the, the range of different activity going on in, in classrooms. And that that was really interesting. And it, and it came into other areas as well. So um, some teachers and parents were talking about to us about the fact that you know, schools will quite often use a traditional story in the classroom and half the children might never have come across Cinderella or yes, Sleeping Beauty yes. because they'll have their own stories. And I think that was something that really was important to me, you know, in the early stages of, of this research is realising that, you know, as teachers, and I, I definitely did this when I was a teacher, we have assumptions of, you know, the kinds of things that everybody does at home, you know, and finding out that that's not true. <laughs> Families are all doing things in their homes, but they're not all the things that I do in my home. And yes. that if we're building on children's lives outside of school, I think we just need to be a bit more careful about um, how we do that and you can't assume that everyone plays snakes and ladders at home and you can't assume that everyone's read Cinderella um, and as a teacher I think if I was going to go back into the classroom now especially in in primary schools I'd be trying to do a bit more work to see what are children what what, what have children experienced outside of school and how can I build on that in what I'm trying to teach them and also I really like the kind of work that lots of schools do in having um like a, a topic day to introduce a new a new line of work so um there was a school that i worked with in bristol uh, at the time i was um, there and they wanted to do a project a, a, a terms topic all about circus um so they started the the term with a day that was all about circus so they had circus skills people in in there and they had other activities that just helped children who might never have been to a circus before experience so what a circus is like um, so that they could draw on that. So that's a really good way of avoiding this uh, this risk of assuming that children are all coming from the same place and are all building on the same experience when they come to school. That was quite, that was quite powerful for me. Fantastic. And um, just one more reflection, and it may be a similar answer, so feel free to say if it is, but is there anything you wish you'd known when you first started out on, on research in general or this specific project that you know now? Um, it's, it's been quite a long project and obviously it's, it's changed. My thinking's changed um, quite a number of times through. I, I think I think it is that, I, I think having a better understanding of where parents might be coming from. I mean, another, another important experience for me on the project was working with, with a school where they had a very high proportion of um, Somali families. And so we were really lucky in that project that there was a, a teaching assistant that we were working with. So he was the only member of staff in the school that was Somali himself, but he was absolutely invaluable um, to work with because he could talk to us about how um, some of the things we were planning to do just wouldn't work for this group. So there wasn't a, there wasn't a strong culture of uh, written language. So he was telling us that these parents came from a very oral uh, tradition. Um, so you know, things like going to our ethics procedures, giving them a written uh, information sheet and consent form to sign wasn't going to work for them because if you gave them something to sign, they would worry that you were going to take their children away. It was so, yes. so things like this. And we were lucky in that case because we had someone great to work with who could, who could help us uh, understand these things before we went and, and made all sorts of terrible mistakes. But <laughs> just that that range and I think it's something that's overlooked you know I and mean, we do a lot of research in maths education on and, and 
you know, I'm interested in cognitive science and what's going on inside children's heads. But I think sometimes we we overlook some of these huge differences in, in where children and families are coming from and how that might affect their their experience of education. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it, this has been absolutely fascinating, this, Tim. And um, just to wrap things up, I'm just going to hand over to you for your big three. I wonder if you have three other websites, blog posts, books or whatever you like that you recommend our listeners check out. And I'll make a note of these and I'll put these on the uh, podcast show notes page. So what are your big three, Tim? Okay, um, and for, I don't know if I'll get the opportunity to say this in a moment, but thanks very much for, for having me on on today. It's been it's been really interesting to talk to you about the research. But the um, the big three, I'm sure lots of people recommend this, but I really think the the Enrich Early Years site is is a great resource for early years and early primary teachers. There's lots of really useful activities on there to do with children, and a lot of them are on these kinds of lines of things that you could do in education settings or could encourage parents to do that were about just increasing the amount of mathematical thinking in everyday activity. So I think that's a great site. Um, a second one that I recommend to lots of people is the the Early Math Collaborative area of the Ericsson Institute website. So again, they've got lots of ideas about how to bring mathematical thinking into play. And one they've got, I think it's called the Ideas factory or the idea is something on that part of their website and they've got videos of uh, some really nice interactions uh, about mathematical ideas in play and then the third one it's um it's, it's another us site it's the school community network.org so i'm uh, i'm on the editorial board for their journal the school community journal but it's a there's a lot of resources on that site the school community network about developing positive school community um, relationships, um, working with parents as partners in children's education and so on. So there's some there's some interesting articles there and some also also some kind of practical strategies for things that's, that schools and teachers can be doing. That's uh, absolutely brilliant choices, those, Tim. I'm not aware of uh, the second and third one at all, so I'll, I'll look forward to checking those out. And it, it kind of links back to what we were saying early on, that, again, it's... <laughs> it's difficult sometimes from a teacher's perspective, I find anyway, to, to, to really appreciate that students' experiences at home will be very different. And you have two students in the same class who have very different experiences at home. But also as a secondary school teacher, I for too many years, I've been completely ignorant of students' experience at primary school and in particularly um, early years. And that's one thing I'm really trying to rectify um, of late. So if, I, if we've got secondary school teachers listening, as I know we, we have, it's really worth, isn't it, Tim, just kind of trying to get to grips with these kind of really powerful resources and, and activities and, and research from the early years uh, time period, because that that kind of really dictates the experience that students have had. And then when they come to us as secondary teachers at age 11, they're not kind of empty vessels. They've, they've got all these experiences that they've had before. And the more that a secondary colleagues can be aware of those, surely that's going to be better for, for, for the teaching and learning going forward, if that makes any sense mm. at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I've done at, at different stages in my career is just go and, go and spend time just sitting in, uh, sitting in early years classrooms to see what's going on and just to, just to watch. I mean, um, you have to you know, find, a, find a school who's happy to invite you in and, you know, I, have a, have a conversation with the teacher first and say, you know, I'm not there to, to judge really. I'm just really interested in seeing what happens in your in classrooms and 
really interested in seeing children's interactions around number, but that, that's such a useful thing to do. Just, I think I'm really careful to try not to just go in and, and do research projects without trying to get a bit of a grounding in the in the context first. And I, I think that'd be a really useful thing to do for secondary school teachers. I mean, I never did that when I was a, I think when I was a secondary school teacher, I had to spend one week in a primary school as part yeah, of my same with me. Exactly. The same that, was and that was in year six, who I mean, not <laughs> yeah. that year sevens at all. But I think going back now, having had that experience of just spending time um, in early years classrooms, I think would change my perspective a bit. Mm. Absolutely. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time today. This has been absolutely fascinating. I, I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks again. I really enjoyed it. So there you go. There was my interview with Tim Jay. That was a good one, hey. Um, I, I love this research series. I know we're only two episodes into this, but it's it's just an opportunity to talk about things that we've we've often mentioned on the show in passing. Like obviously, when when I speak to teachers, we talk about parents, we talk about the role of parents, but the opportunity to really dive deep with somebody who's spent a considerable amount of time researching this and addressing all the interesting questions is just is an absolute pleasure for me. I'm I'm, I'm loving it, and again, we've we've got so many great episodes coming up in this series i'm so excited to share them with you but anyway back to uh, talking about the conversation with tim i thought that was fascinating about that there's a bit of a disconnect between what parents think that they want how they how they think they want to help support their their children and what practically can, can actually work how they think they want to almost play the role of teacher so to be to be armed with all that knowledge of of, of, of how to help support their students and so on but Practically, that's not going to work for a number of reasons. Um, one, it's it's going to take a, a lot of experience, not just subject knowledge, but also kind of the, the, the pedagogy about how to explain things to students and so on. But then there's just the practicalities of, of the time and the, not just the time to learn all that, but the time to, to sit down with your child and, and go through all that. It's, it's not as if you just kind of can recreate the school day at the end of at the end of a school day at home, if, if that makes sense. So it's, it's fascinating the fact that parents are obviously desperately keen to help support their, their, their children. And that was really reassuring when, when Tim said that that is the vast majority of, of parents. And that's certainly been my experience. But there's a bit of a disconnect between, yeah, how they actually want to help support their students and what's practically possible and what's perhaps going to be more useful for them. And maybe this is teacher's role to try and help steer parents back to something that's more realistic and ultimately going to be more pleasurable and useful for everybody involved. Now, it's worth mentioning, of course, that Tim's main focus was was on working with, with uh, parents of primary age students. And as you know, my experience is with secondary. But, but I have got a little bit of experience when it comes to supporting primary age students, as I mentioned with uh, in the conversation with Tim. Our friends, uh, Chris and Amy, their, their daughter Isabel is, is getting maths homework uh, thick and fast these days. And I'm often on the receiving end of a WhatsApp with, with an image of uh, 
a picture of a homework and then uh, something like WTF um, on the bottom, which uh, you may know what that stands for. So that's Amy's way of signaling to me that she needs perhaps a little bit of help. And the thing is, like, I, I should be fairly decent at maths, right? But I look at some of these things and sometimes I think <laughs> I'm not 100% sure how to do that. But more often than not, I think I'm not so sure how Isabel has been taught that. I know how I would do it, but I'm not so sure if that's going to be the right way to explain it. So even things like like division, I'm not so sure whether it's kind of a bus stop, for want of a better phrase, or chunking. And then you've got the, the whole issue of when decimal place values involved with decimal points and we're multiplying by 10. Am I shifting the point? Am I shifting the numbers? Am I getting out some manipulative? You know, I, I, I don't want to do more damage by explaining it in a different way. And this is me as a maths teacher and feeling this. Now, I know um, Joe Morgan, a big friend of the podcast, big friend of mine, she's spoken about how now her daughters are, are going through primary school. Uh, she's finding it fascinating to see how they're being taught different concepts and introduced it into things. And it just shows you that you can have all the maths experience in the world, but it's it's a very different thing and kind of different stages of students' mathematical development. And as a parent, you can perhaps feel sometimes removed from this. So then it went back to, uh, well, what can parents actually do to help? Now, again, I, I shared during the conversation with Tim some things that, that we've tried. We, we, we tried at our school experimenting with, with kind of lessons to, to give parents more of a, it was more designed to give them a sense of, of what maths is like at secondary school, as opposed to, you know, let me teach you, this is how we teach this, so you, you can learn it and then you can use it with your students. I think that can be, that can be interesting to, to give parents a bit of a sense of, of what maths is like these days. And anything that brings parents into the school can help just re reduce that disconnect. And because and, we're all in this together, the parent, the teacher and the student working together to, to help the student hopefully enjoy and, and get better at maths. So I think that works. But... I think also we've got to be really careful to, to, to say to parents, to make it clear that it, it's not reasonable to expect them to, to know all of high school mathematics, all of how it's taught, and then kind of pass that on to, to, to students. That's our job as teachers. Their job as parents is to support their students and support what we're trying to do. But if they do want to help, then just bringing mathematics into everyday conversations I think is such a super useful thing. So Tim mentioned some really, really practical things that, that teachers can do with parents. So just asking them what are some of the things that they do with their kids and then saying, is there any way, what, what would be some of the ways that perhaps maths could sneak its way in there and so on and, and not making it this, this, this role of parents being kind of the enforcers of, of doing homework, but just just making talking about math just a normal part of, 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 of parlance between parents and students. And I also mentioned with Tim the thing that we did, which was probably the most successful parental intervention we, we did. And we did it um, around about open evening. But I think it's something that could perhaps be rolled out over the course of the year. And that's to use Joe Bowler's idea of number talks, where you take a calculation. And the beauty of this is, it can be as simple or as complex as you like. So we were pitching this at year seven parents. So we were doing multiplications like 18 multiplied by five. But if you're working with younger students, it could be additions, 19 plus 25 is a good one. Or if you're working with, with older students, it could be anything. It could be solving equations if, if, if that's the kind of way you want to go down. But the key thing is, it's just, it's just a mathematical calculation, but it's not just right. 
you do this and I'll mark it right or wrong. It's let's talk about different ways that we may approach this. And I'll tell you why this is fascinating to do parents and children. Because one of parents' main fears is that mathematics is taught differently to how it was in their day. But that can be turned into a real advantage with something like a number talk because parents can show kids how they would approach it or how they were taught to approach it. The kids can then say, well, this is how we're taught to approach it. And then you can have a fascinating conversation comparing methods, which one do you like, or how are they similar, how are they different, and so on. So that, and as I say, pitching it is is, is not too bad. If, if a multiplication feels about the right level, let's go with that. If an addition feels more, more the level, let's go with that. It's, it's not about the actual content, it's about having that conversation about different methods, different approaches, and so on. And it just, it moves the relationship surrounding mathematics between parent and child away from the formal potential enforcement of the parent saying right watch your maths homework now to now go and do it it also moves it away from the kids saying i'm stuck in my maths homework and the parent getting really anxious because they don't know how to help and it becomes the role of the parent is to just try and bring mathematics into everyday conversation into everyday life just like they would for reading or something like that so whether it's inviting parents in to do a session on number talks and a bit of advice how to do it, or whether it's to do what Tim said and invite parents in just to talk about how maths can find its way into different things. And not, so, not and it's not the teacher saying, if you go for a walk, do this, this and this. It's, it's throwing it back to the parent and saying, okay, you're on a walk. What are some of the things that you could be talking about and so on? So I think there's lots of different ways um, that, that, that we could use the research and the findings that Tim's made about the powerful role of parents to try and improve that relationship between the school and the parents and also improve that relationship between the parents and child, particularly when it comes to mathematics. So just, I just wanted to leave you with, with that challenge. Well, what do you do with, with, with your parents? What's the conversations that you have with them as a teacher? Um, do you get a sense about how they feel about mathematics, how they work with their, work with their child? Think about two different parents. Think about a parent perhaps you've met a, a, a parents evening who's really engaged, who's really working really positively with their child when it comes to mathematics. And then think about a parent for whom perhaps they suffer from maths anxiety, perhaps they seem a little disengaged. What could you do with that latter parent? How could you help support them? Are there some of the things that Tim talked about that, that could work? So um, all that remains for me to do is, is thank Tim for giving up his time to speak to us. As I say, I absolutely loved that conversation. I, I found it fascinating. Uh, thank you to, to Colin Foster for helping uh, me put this mini series together. I, I promise you, I'm, I don't, I don't want to get too excited. We're too into this. I've recorded all 10. There are some absolute gold coming up here from, from some of these guests. I'll give you a bit of a teaser now. If I said to you we're going to be talking to one guest who's mentioning about chickens counting, you know you've, you're in for a treat coming up. But anyway, um, I'll leave you uh, to it now. So please help me spread the word about these these podcasts. They're, they're different to the, uh, the the normal ones that I do with, with practicing teachers, but hopefully different in, in a really positive way. And um, if you want to help support it, help spread the word, uh, leave a review wherever, uh, wherever you get your podcast from, I'd really appreciate it. And I'll be back with some more gold from this Research in Action series in the very near future. You take care of yourselves. Bye for now.